The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And you are tuned in to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. Today, I'm honored to welcome my guest, Dr. Tanmeet Seti. She is an integrative medicine physician and faculty at the Swedish Cherry Hill Family Medicine Residency in Seattle, Washington. She is the creator and director of the program's Integrative Medicine Fellowship. She also is a two-time TEDx speaker and lectures nationally on topics in nutrition and mind-body medicine. She is a graduate of the University of Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine Fellowship. She is certified in functional medicine and serves as senior faculty of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine in Washington, D.C., She has an interesting background in Ayurvedic medicine through training in India and Bastyr University, and she is a clinical associate professor at the University of Washington. Welcome, Dr. Seti. Thank you so much. Well, I was very much grateful to hear the lecture that you provided through a webinar for dietitians that focus on integrative and functional medicine. And your talk really centered on mind-body medicine and ways to reduce inflammation, leaky gut, all of those things that seem to plague or to be increasingly plaguing modern society. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have your wise words um, for many of our listeners? So thank you for being here. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you. I think first we should let our listeners know, what is integrative medicine and how did you find your way there? Yeah. Well, actually, I always knew I was going to practice integrative medicine, but it didn't have this fancy name when I went to medical school. So when I went to medical school, there wasn't any such discipline. I just knew that I was going to combine the best medicine from all the healing systems of the world and that I was going to do that with the conventional medicine training I was about to receive. And so now integrative medicine is thankfully a discipline in that it can get more awareness and people can understand it better. But really, integrative medicine is looking at what is the root cause of symptoms instead of just band-aiding symptoms. So what can we find out that could be the imbalances that are occurring that are leading to chronic disease patterns? And how can we manage those root causes through food, through herbs, through vitamins, through pharmaceuticals if needed, through different thoughts and rewiring of our brain through spirituality and connection and meaning, through physical movement, through removing toxins in our environment. So really looking at all of these different sectors and how we can really come to a a better balance in our mind and our body. I think that the public is so hungry for this kind of holistic care. Mm -hmm. And our medical system, at least the one that I've been familiar with, the doctor has maybe 15 minutes allotted per patient. And it's so frustrating. And I think it has really led consumers to look for alternative methods. And while some of those may be good and valid, I love that it's coming through a practitioner who also has the benefit of multiple methods of healing, including the Western model. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, there's really a lot of good in Western medicine. Um, I think that the shortcoming and uh, is, as you described, in Western medicine is it's become a way to quick fix. And chronic disease, isn't, there is no quick fix mm-hmm. to chronic disease. And Western medicine is really, I think, failing at that part. Yeah. Well, I was interested that you set up a culinary medicine program yeah. there at the Swedish Cherry Hill Family Medicine Residency. And I had to laugh because I thought, this is so great. Doctors are going back to the Hippocratic Oath and we're looking yeah. at, you know, food is medicine. And how wonderful that you're taking this approach of looking at the power of food. And I remember I made several notes during the webinar that you gave there was one that really resonated with me, and it, it was that you said that eating is a sacred act. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I don't think that we take the time to recognize it as such. No, no, not at all. 25% of meals in this country are eaten in the car. Mm-hmm. Everything has really geared to the quickest way to make a meal. You know, 30-minute meals are the sort of things we look up in Google. And understandably, I'm a busy mom and, and doctor, and we all have busy lives. And so we've been trying to figure out how to get all these things in the day done quicker. The problem is that we've sacrificed some really important parts of the day, and eating is one of them. Eating is, a, I mean, think... The layers of that statement, I didn't know I said it like that, but that is what I believe. I never remember what I exactly said. Right. But eating is sacred. I mean, there are many layers to that statement. First of all, when we eat, we're connecting to food that was grown from the earth, right? And from the earth that supports us and is here and houses us, people who tended to that earth, farmers, took care of that food and harvested it for us, people who transported that food from the farm to the market or the store, people who prepared that food, who served it to us. I mean, think of all those layers of connection, right? Mm -hmm. I get chills, actually, when I say things like that, because it really reminds me that eating food is a way to connect to the world around us, to the earth, and to each other. And there are many studies now looking at how family dinners how important they are to preventing childhood obesity. I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. Simple things like we're missing out on a simple tool that also gives us so much meaning in many other ways. And we're not connecting to each other when we don't sit down together with the people we love and really appreciate where that food came from, who gave it to us, who made it for us. I mean, I could go on and on about this topic because it's a real passion to me, but I feel that we've really lost some of that. And coming back to that, Kind of like you said, you thought it was, you know, funny, culinary medicine, food is medicine. We're coming back to our roots, the Hippocratic Oath and what we said we believed in. I think that's where we're really trying to work at from many different ways in life. And food is one of them. Like, how can we remember what food means and how can we have gratitude for that food and how can we bring respect to that act of eating? Right. And just as you teach in some of your excellent gratitude blogs about the power of breath, Mm -hmm. there is also this power in this simple act of sitting down to eat. And I think part of your webinar also, in addition to looking at eating as a sacred act, you spoke about the awe and wonder of recognizing how powerful food is. And Mm. I think if we all recognize that, perhaps we wouldn't take it for granted and we would be more mindful about the quality of the food that we were taking into our bodies. Right. 
Exactly. And that's exactly why studies have shown that mindful eating and awareness around food have helped to help patients with eating disorders, with obesity, because we're really trying to get back to that sense of how are we feeling when we eat? What are we reaching for? And as I often say to patients who have food cravings that they feel are not serving them any longer, we try to work with mindfulness and really think about when you reach for those foods, instead of thinking of willpower, this word really bothers me, this willpower Mm -hmm. word, but trying to muscle over something, why not try to be curious and think about what am I reaching for when I reach for this? What need am I trying to fill today? And a lot of awareness can come around that. Food can be a vehicle for joy and a beautiful medicine, but it can also be a really a way that we escape, a way that we comfort and treat almost our regular daily challenges as well as mental health issues. So you're right. Mindful eating and awareness is really a beautiful thing that's more powerful than people realize. I feel like it sounds kind of woo-woo, mindful eating, like how could that ever help me? Just tell me what to eat. Because if you have all this knowledge about how good turmeric is and how good all these things are, just tell me what to eat. And I always say to people, don't perseverate. Try to connect to the food and see how you feel when you eat the food. Right. I often stop at grocery stores and little food markets wherever I travel because I like to see what kinds of foods are available to people. And increasingly, I've become disheartened by the lack of choice. I'm sure you've heard this too, where people are perhaps not as well or not eating as well as they should. There's usually somebody wagging a finger saying, well, you're just not making Mm. good choices. But in truth, our society does not make it easy for people to make good choices. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I particularly live that every day because I take care of a very under-resourced population Mm. And that's my passion to help actually bring food justice to populations who I feel like the system is working against them. I agree. Yeah. I so appreciate that attitude. And you describe the sad diet or the way the the typical Western diet is described, Mm -hmm. where it's low in fiber, it's high in certain forms of fats that can harm us, and lots of simple carbohydrates. And if you stop at one of these, you know, you stop at a gas station or a mini mart that is pretty much the only grocery source in many underserved rural and urban communities, that's basically all that's available. Right. Yeah, I really appreciate some of the movements going on right now around gardening and bringing Mm. that to underserved populations. We tried to actually teach gardening classes last quarter. We're hoping to move our culinary medicine curriculum to patients eventually. I think that this idea of what is offered to people and how uphill they're working is a real one. There is just no way around that. And I don't think it's easy. I do think there are ways that also our messaging and advertising also work against uh, everyone, but particularly the most vulnerable populations. And I think that we also forget that this fast food movement has made it seem like the cheapest way to feed your family is with fast food. But there are actually lots of studies to show how you can make a much healthier meal in the grocery store for cheaper than the fast food chains. Now, the fast food chains are faster, right? There's no way around it. They give you your meal made, but there's a cost to that speed. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite bumper stickers says fast food is neither. And I come from... I need that one. 
Yes, absolutely. You know, I come from the College of Home Economics, which has now been yeah. made very unfashionable because it's not science sounding enough. But we were taught how to prepare, say, a larger quantity of food in advance, and then mm-hmm. freeze it in smaller portions. So when you had a crazy mm-hmm. night, you could just reheat quickly. And I would bet that that is even faster than driving through the drive through where many people sit for 30 minutes. I could have a meal on the table in that time. Right. You know, actually, it's a really interesting point. I remember my husband didn't come from a family that cooked a lot. And when we were first raising our children, when we first started growing our family, the lives got busier, things get a lot more rushed, and getting the meals on the table gets a little harder when it's not just the two of you. And I still remember there, his tendency is to fall. It's not anymore, but it used to be to fall to, can we just pick up some food? You know, albeit kind of seemingly healthy food, but pick up food. And I would always say, no, I can do this quicker and it'll taste better and it'll feel better. And he would be actually quite astounded at in 30 minutes what you can do from opening the fridge to getting to the table. Now, I, and I personally really enjoy cooking long cooking spurts. And so that's not my preferred way to make a meal. But sometimes you just got to get the food on the table. Exactly. And I love the way you said it'll make you feel better. Mm. We don't typically talk about food that way. It's always about, you know, how can I fill myself up? But the negative consequences of choosing food that's fast and cheap often leads us with stomach upset. I don't know about you, but I hear from so many people that they have gastrointestinal or digestive disorders. I went in for my normal checkup, my colonoscopy, Mm -hmm. and the doctor said that people coming in with vague digestive disorders was keeping that clinic alive. Wow. Yeah. And I imagine that you may hear that as well. You have patients who come in with vague GI complaints. Yeah, all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that, and a lot of them have just gotten used to them and say that's just what I thought was my normal. Yeah, the uh, new normal. I think it's really hard without that mindfulness that you talked about in the beginning. It's really hard to become aware that that's related to, I, I know it seems crazy to me sometimes because it's what I do every day, but I think when we're in the hustle of life, that awareness and that connection that what I ate is making me feel bad isn't there. Right. Let me take one moment and just remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, where we are speaking with Dr. Tanmeet Seti. She is an integrative medicine physician and faculty at the Swedish Cherry Hill Family Medicine Residency. Her expertise is in the area of integrative medicine. Well, we should talk about some of the more technical things that you brought up in the Mm -hmm. webinar to dietitians because I found them to be extremely fascinating. You mentioned this about how eating is our connection to the earth and how our GI tract, 70% of our immune system is in the lining of the gut, which tells me that we have to be very careful about what we put in our guts. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between our guts and our mental and physical health? Mm. We could talk about that for hours. I know. But I'll try to just put a little on the high point. First, related to our guts and our mental health, it's actually become quite clear that mood and food are related. And I think that 
you probably remember a study that I talked about in the webinar where that followed 10,000 patients. I mean, 10,000 patients for four plus years and really looked at what it would be like if they ate more of a Mediterranean-style diet, which really is looking at more whole foods, more produce, legumes, nuts, and olive oil. And they found a 42% decreased risk of depression. I mean, 42% by changing the food. And we think about, on the flip side of that, how much sugar is in our food in this country, hidden in food as well as overtly bought and eaten. That sugar just really wrecks with our brain as well as with our energy cycles. And so anyone, even someone who's not depressed, can feel so sluggish and tired after eating too much sugar that think about what it's like if you're already depressed and how it's kind of keeping you down, so to speak. Mm -hmm. As those foods come in and interact with that huge part of our immune system, they're talking. You know, I think about it all the time. They're having a dialogue, really. And the question is, how do you want to intervene on that dialogue? How do you want to change what they're talking about? And if we're putting in the foods that don't work well for our bacteria in our gut as well as our immune system, then their dialogue becomes one of inflammation. They really send out messages to each other real chemical messengers called cytokines that become inflammatory messengers and create havoc in our immune system, in our bodies, in our brains. And so really it's about changing the dialogue and changing what they're talking about. Sometimes I'll, I don't know if I said this in my webinar, but I'll joke with my children that if I haven't seen them all day and they've been at school and then we sit down to eat and then they're kind of not wanting the vegetables or whatever's happening, then I say, well, what did you feed your buggies today? Because <laughs> we talk about their buggies and their bacteria and their gut. And, you know, I mean, those bacteria need real food. And if they don't, then they start sending out these messages that you don't want them to send out. Yeah. I just think this is the new frontier. At least it has been in the field of dietetics, this yeah. whole understanding of the microbiome. Yes. Yes. It's huge, huge. Every day there's new literature coming out. It, it's hard to keep up on and, it, and it's not refined yet. And so we're really in an exciting time where we're watching it get refined right. and new information coming out constantly. And, and I think you can look at it two different ways. If you're a really, I happen to be in medicine. And so I encounter a lot of staunch, rigid thinking Western docs who really think that all that literature is just not refined enough yet. They're right. It's not refined enough. I think you can look at it that way and say, I'm not going to listen until it's refined. Or you can look at all the amazing literature that may not be refined, but is very sound in how these dialogues and these messages are happening. And you can decide to wait or get in now and make a difference. That's how I look at it. But I think there's enough literature to really make us change our mind on it, but I guess we all choose to listen to what we want to listen to, too. Right. Well, on your website, which I'll provide to our listeners, you've got beautiful images of beautiful food, and you spoke about real and beautiful food. And lo and behold, that real and beautiful food is loaded with fiber. Mm -hmm. Many of the herbs and spices that have been really diminishing in our diets because of this this movement to speed. Mm -hmm. I remember reading an article about how modern recipes have become fewer and fewer in ingredients because people don't think that they have the time. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how spices also serve us, not only from a medicinal perspective, but also in terms of enhancing the deliciousness of our food. 
Yeah. So as you know from listening to him, very adamant that we not forget about our urban spice pharmacy, as I call it. And I think you're very right. They have been lost to speed. And it is not only a travesty for what they do for our health, but like you said, they really enhance the beauty and flavor of our food and make healthy food more tasty, period. And so we're losing out on that ability to, there's sort of a stigma that if you eat healthy, you don't eat good food or it's not fun to eat. And actually, if you eat a really beautiful meal of whole foods with amazing amounts of herbs and spices, I don't know how you could ever say that. I think that's where we're losing out. But at the same time, our medicinal impact is huge. So we talk a lot about ginger and turmeric, for instance, which both work on the same biochemical pathways that our anti-inflammatory medicines like ibuprofen and Celebrex do. You know, these are real biochemical messengers. They inhibit pathways of inflammation, plain and simple. There's plenty of literature to show it. Thankfully, now we can prove it. But there's wisdom in the way food has been cooked traditionally for years, centuries. So I really feel like if you look back at the way food has been cooked in different cultures, you see the wealth of herbs and spices. And there's real reason to listen to wisdom. I just think we need to listen because we've transformed food into something else. And if we go back to how food was, I think we'll get back to better health. Mm -hmm. I so agree with you. I know that there's a lot of talk about inflammatory processes and how inflammation seems to be behind not only cardiovascular disease, but perhaps also cancer. You mentioned Mm -hmm. the ginger and turmeric as being anti-inflammatory. If you were to have a patient in your office and you recognize that they were having inflammatory processes going on, what would you recommend to them in terms of how can we reduce that inflammation by taking some foods out of the diet and putting others in? Yeah. So I do a lot of individualizing of diet and dietary approaches, So, but I'll try to make some general blanket statements. So depending, there's obviously a wealth of different kinds of inflammatory conditions you can have. Right. At the same time, there are some generalities you can really hold to. Those would be taking out first sugar, white flour, simple carbs, taking those out as much as you can, minimizing them. No one can avoid sugar completely, okay? So I try to make sure people aren't getting crazy about it either. But what we're trying to do is budget. So when we have sugar, we can taste it and enjoy it. And we can have real things we enjoy rather than hiding it in all our foods and our drinks. If you can get out the sugary drinks, the juices, the iced teas, the soft drinks, those are huge things to get out for inflammation. And those processed foods and simple carbs are just not helpful in large amounts. And that's the problem. In moderation and small amounts, it's probably not a big deal. But I mean about the simple carbs, I'd venture to say processed foods in any amount are going to affect you. But Getting those out would be a huge thing. And then for what to put in, I talk a lot about whole vegetables and fruits and legumes and looking at really herbs and spices. How can I include those? So people will ask you, you ask specifically about food, and that is how I always start. But people will ask me, can I take the turmeric in a supplement form? Yeah. And how would that work for me? Usually when turmeric is in a supplement form, it's constituent. It's what we think is its active constituent. Curcumin is what's being sold. And it has amazing literature behind it. And I use it 
a lot. And I think it's very powerful. So I will say that that's a beautiful thing to include. But what I would say is I never give it to people who I think need it without saying, how about incorporating whole turmeric as well? So the powdered or fresh turmeric in your diet, and let's think about ways you could do that if you're not used to it. Because what I think we need to be wary of, now this is just a theory I have. I don't have a randomized control trial to back it, but I worry a little about this synthesizing down to what the only active constituent we think is powerful. Curcumin in its in that state has been studied and is powerful, so I will never take that away from it. But we really don't know what the power of curcumin is in its whole form in turmeric, if you understand what I mean. The right. whole plant has its own wisdom. And the synergy of how the different chemicals in the plant work together, we don't quite understand, right? So I don't know that when epidemiologically we look at large, large populations that have been eating turmeric since birth, those populations seem to have the lowest rates of Alzheimer's and dementia. Now, is it the whole turmeric or is it just the curcumin? I don't know. You know, right. so I always try to, no matter what supplement people want to or are interested in or I prescribe or suggest to them, I try to also talk about food. Oh, absolutely. And I find that eating food is so much more enjoyable. There's that whole factor of, I would (laughs) prefer to eat rather than to take a pill. It's difficult to swallow. I love something that you said during your webinar. You said, let's work on taking out what isn't serving us. Mm -hmm. And isn't that a beautiful way to re-look at the food-human relationship? Yeah. And and I think the way that you put it is really beautiful because what I work with a lot with people is this feeling of, why can't I have that? Yeah. Why can't I have that? That everyone else gets to eat that. They seem to be fine. Why is it my punishment to not eat croissants for breakfast? Right. And I think that the way you phrased it really shows how our relationship with food can be a really beautiful connected one in a way to show us how to connect to ourselves, that what we need may be different than what someone else needs and what we can manage and tolerate is different than what someone else can manage and tolerate. And no matter what any of that holds, in the end, if your body's telling you that's enough, then your body's trying to have a dialogue with you. And our answer can be to compassionately nurture our body or to feel resistant and upset about it. Mm. And so what you're really doing with that framing is turning that relationship over and saying, you know, it doesn't have to be contentious. It can be a beautiful one where we listen and we, we dance back and forth. And if you really look at the neuroscience on compassion and change, it's really clear. It's beautiful work, all of this neuroscience. It's really clear that to make any change and to manage any dietary, any change really, but I put it in the context today of diet, is that we actually have to be really compassionate with ourselves. Because if we are just critical of ourselves, why can't I do it? I'm such a loser. Or why does this have to be this way? And then we actually are tend, our brain tends to actually choose the choice we're trying to change, which is interesting. But we look for comfort. So we look for the thing that we wanted in the beginning. 
Well, we'll have to close on that note. And it's a really thought-provoking and beautiful one. And I want to thank you so much for being my guest. I want to thank thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Mostly I want to thank Dr. Tanmeet Sethi, an integrative medicine physician. We will put your website along with this program, and it is tanmeetsethimd.com. And I can't thank you enough for your work in improving compassion, empathy, and gratitude in our world. Oh, I'm really honored to be here. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you.